Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, Brent. Hey, Alan. Hey, we're, we're going to do this again, another remote, because uh, we want to observe the six-foot rule, uh, AB Testing Podcast. I actually think when this is all over, we should you and I should continue to observe that. You know, not a bad idea. Not a horrible idea. So uh, how are things going? How are you adapting? So the last episode we did actually was rather helpful. I spent a lot of time sort of thinking through and adapting to what, what sort of things can I learn from Alan who has mastered this? I would say, like in my family, uh, my son adapted pretty quickly. Uh, he's 18, and school district says, you don't have to do school. I mean, that's enough information for him. He works at McDonald's, so every morning uh, we get a, hey, Dad, I'm essential and you're not, sort of comment. Wait, <laughs> I, I haven't really left the house, and I haven't been to a McDonald's in forever, but McDonald's is essential? Yeah, because they provide food. No comment. All right, then. Did you uh, see, yeah. speaking of uh, school, did you see the on April 1st, the, there was a mock, there was a screenshot, of, looked really real, of Jay Inslee with the banner below saying, Governor makes the tough call to ask all students to repeat the 2019-2020 school year. I did not. Yeah, that's a, that, that caused a lot of kids to poop their britches. It's interesting. My daughter is chugging along. I mean, the only issue with my daughter is I think that, so she's been doing online for a great deal. Uh, she goes to private school, so she's not beholden to Inslee's statement. Uh, or, or So Inslee at one point in time basically said all schools are canceled. Uh, North Shore School District had online, uh, that's where my son goes, they had online school going within a week, uh, and then the governor's office said, no, uh can't do that, unfair to other districts. And so they did some wrangling, got that back online. Uh, that just started this week. But again, my daughter, private school, the only issue there is she normally had been doing school for like six hours a day, right? And right now, um, consistently every day at 10, I go, okay, are you done with school? And She's like, oh, yeah, I've already turned in on all, all my homework assignments and everything. And so I don't feel at the moment I'm getting my uh, ROI of private school. Yeah. So my kids are in public schools, but they both go to a uh, it's called the big picture school. It's all project based. So they can do a lot of that from home. And they're both. Uh, I want one, I, Alan, one second. Pause. What? Are you a podcast? I'm doing a podcast. Go away. I'm 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 gonna leave that in. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, it's a project-based school. They're able to do a lot of their stuff from home. Uh, my son is sporadically working on a Python project. I help him with a little bit, uh, making him learn Git, so I can send him pull requests for like I start things for him so he can finish them as a way to kind of get him going. And that's plugging oh. along. My daughter's doing a. Uh, She's pretty much dumb with all her schoolwork, but 
the point I was getting to is Issaquah, it was going to be where my kids go to school. They were going to be out of school till April 20th. And then Inslee extended that by two weeks. It's probably going to be longer, but they're going to kick off uh, remote learning sessions beginning the week after their spring break would have been. So it's all kicking in. I don't think they're going back to school this year. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see. Right. I, um, so first off, many things. Uh, so so your... first, second, third, fourth, and fifth off. Go ahead. Right. The You mentioned uh, teaching your son Python or working through Python. There is a book. Uh, I got my daughter, a 10-year-old daughter, called It's Head First, as we both uh, have played. We love that series. I, I, I do love the Head First series. Uh, they have a they have a book called Learning to Code, and I have been doing this for about a month. We do a chapter a week with my daughter. She's she's about to start chapter four, and learn about while and for loops. But those on the podcast can't see this, but uh, I got this as a follow up once my daughter flies through that one. What he's showing me. That it, it's a mystery. It's porn. No, it's <laughs> headfirst Python. Yes. So uh, the learning to code book uses Python as its primary language. Uh, I forgot to mention that. And then this one is far more in depth. Um, very, very interesting. I will check both of those out. And yeah. Hey, so uh, getting back on to a little bit more COVID, then we have some kind of loose topics to discuss today. But I'm curious uh, to talk about what's changed. Maybe I'll start. I'll tell you what's changed for me at work. You talked about me being an expert at working from home, and uh, I have more experience, not necessarily expertise. But what's happened, and I can't remember if I mentioned this last time, is it's learning to help everyone else learning to work from home has become a big part of my job. And that means you, know, so you are a, a work from home coach now too. Uh, apparently. And it's some therapy too, because I have some employees who live by themselves and they're going a little stir crazy. One yep. in a, in a apartment about the, as big as the office I'm recording this in at home. So they have their own challenges. There are people with roommates who are slowly learning to loathe their roommates and and what impacts Separ- me the most separation does make the heart grow fonder what impacts <laughs> me the most is a lot more meetings on my calendar a lot oh. a lot a lot i have calendar explosion and it's good i feel like 95% plus of those meetings are actually effective uses of my time just ends up being exhausting i'm probably in meetings i didn't count I was thinking of writing a, a, a plug-in extension to count how many hours and meetings I have a week, but I'm assuming it's somewhere near 40. Yeah, if you had, uh, if you were still at Microsoft and you had Outlook, they have now a new analytics tool plugged in. And so like last Monday, the little plug-in sent me a mail and told me, hey, you should look into this. Your meeting schedule has spiked up in the last week. Oh yeah, that's that's. <laughs> I, I kind of, I can tell. I can tell. 
Well, so here's the thing that's depressing because it will quantify it. And it told me that 98% of my time now is being spent in meetings. And I'm like, oh, kill me. So the other interesting thing is there's some new meetings on my calendar that I don't always go to, but they're interesting. We have regular yoga classes over Zoom I can attend. We have a happy hour every Friday, virtual happy hour. Everyone drinks at their home desk and toasts each other and chats about whatever. Little things like that. We have teams with Discord servers and one of my teams has a Slack hangout, not a Slack hangout, a Google hangout. They just keep running all day to pop in and out of and... At work, you know, they all sit in a, all sit together in a little pod, and they're used to just having chatter with each other while they work, and it gives them a way to emulate that. So a lot of things, it's it's interesting to watch how people adapt. In a company a gazillion times bigger, what's different about other than the meeting explosion, which you've I assume you've noticed? What else is different? What do you, what are you <sighs> what are you and your teams doing to uh, handle the brave new world? So my experience is different than my reports. It's interesting because the majority of my reports are reporting in. Uh, so I have one kid that, that he, he just joined us from college. I call him a kid, but he, he's, he went to a PhD, so he's nearly 30. Yeah, my whole team are kids. It's all right. <laughs> He's going stir crazy. He's an extrovert. And he's like, uh, people. <laughs> Yeah, the, the rest of my team, primary introverted, and they're all reporting, oh my God, uh, my productivity is through the roof right I, now. I've, I've heard that too. <laughs> I've heard that from most of my team. Yeah, me, uh, I'm, uh, as we've talked about many times before, I'm introverted. Uh, By and, the way, and, uh, I... I had a meeting this week. We're doing more like get to know each other meetings over over Zoom. And I'm interrupting you because one of my skip levels spoke up. He's a, a kid. One of the kids lives by, by themselves. He said, and I'm an INTP. I thought, as, oh. As am I. A, as we all are. Yes. It's a club. <laughs> all right. Go on. As a manager, right, you have to compensate, right? You, you, you can't follow your instinct to avoid or kill all the people that you are interacting with. Correct. Um, it's against the law. So you, you learn uh, skills to compensate for this and even how to fake uh, for momentarily uh, being extroverted. Uh, but the meeting schedule is tiresome, right? It's, it, it drains your battery really quickly and uh, you don't get to compensate or balance it out with uh, actually getting stuff done, right? Yep. So uh, too much talky, not enough dewy in Brent's life right now. Uh, yeah, I think I've heard that. Yeah, I have honestly, and this this won't sustain long term, but for right now, I've had to commit that I am just going to have to spend four hours, half a day on Saturday, doing the stuff that I would normally have done during the week, the the dewy part. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I do my Dewey on Saturday. Uh, so I, I do that on the weekends as well. It's essentially uh, as my body clock, no matter what time I go to bed, I get up at five. Uh, I haven't set an alarm clock in forever. Uh, if I stay up too late, uh, that little aspect of my body clock drives me crazy. 
So I am very defensive. I need to make sure I go to bed on time because I know I'm getting up at five, no matter what. Anyway, the nice thing about that is the majority of my family on weekends will sleep in until 10. I'm like, sweet. Yes, that, 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 that's <laughs> actually when I get the work done. I have this weird thing where if I, most days I will wake up five or 10 minutes before my alarm, no matter what time my alarm set for. I usually have meetings beginning at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. So I too get up at 5 or 5.30 every morning. And I tend to wake up most mornings on my own. On the weekends, I will, my body is able to sleep till 7 o'clock, but my family doesn't roll out of bed till about 10. So I have plenty of time after taking care of the dog and take the dog for a walk and making some coffee to get a couple solid hours in then. And that works out pretty well for me. Yeah. What's your, what are your teams doing at Microsoft uh, to, to stay connected other than the typical day-to-day meetings? So I have a daily standup, right? I, I bring that up. I ask how people are coping, how I can help. We are doing a more relevant today with, within my manager's organization. That should be interesting. So as you know, typically with morale event that there's generally food involved and, and some sort of activity. You just bring your own food? No, actually. So uh, every member of the team yesterday got a $40 DoorDash uh, gift certificate. And uh, we are all to schedule our door dashes, make sure the food is there uh, by noon. And then noon, we will be eating and playing some sort of game. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. We are, uh, there's a lot more virtual happy hours going on across teams, some games. I've been playing a lot of exploding kittens over the internet, a little bit on board game arena. Uh, I just downloaded Doom Eternal. I'll be playing that all weekend. Uh, but a couple questions for you. Uh, yeah. During this time, what book are you reading right now? Uh, not really much. Head first, have... Dewey. Yeah. So the the closest thing to a book uh, that I've been reading is this one called Math, Math Riddles Rid- for Smart Kids. Brent is where this is why we shouldn't <laughs> do recordings over Zoom because Brent hold things up to the camera on a podcast. Uh, I think it's kind of fun. But yes, it's smart riddles for, for or, or math riddles for smart kids. I like that. I like that. I like that. It, it's it's basically nothing but story problems. And I sit down with my daughter and we do a couple of them a day. Good. What games are you playing? Everything else. Uh, not playing uh, anything. Again, here's what I would say is because the meeting schedule has gone way up, my drive if I have free time, I'm getting stuff done because that actually helps my my karmic balance better than than uh, than those other you know normal relaxed time activities. Yeah, so, that, that's true for me as well. I wonder if that has to do a little bit, at least, with the personality type. My, my son and I. Uh, oh, it was interesting. So. He has a girlfriend. He's going a bit stir crazy uh, because of this. Uh, can't spend time with them, and uh, he'll go up on Xbox. And if his friends aren't there, then he'll fall back to his plan Z, which is, oh, let's see if Dad wants to do something. 
So we played uh, Borderlands 3 for a couple hours four or five days ago. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's nothing nothing to report on my side. You? Like I told, I've been playing Ori and the Will of the Wisps. I, I kind of get, platformers end up frustrating me after a while. So yeah. I, I bought and downloaded Doom Eternal, as I mentioned earlier, last night. And I'll be playing that this afternoon and this weekend. That's what Doom, Doom or first-person shooters in general, is a good way to uh, virtually act, uh, act on your introverted instincts. Is that true? <laughs> right, right. Are you, are you making in, crap it, up? In, in, no, in, in, in Doom, you are allowed to kill all the people. No, you're killing. You're not, you're not killing people. You're killing demons. Whatever. Big difference. What's been other than the work stuff we talked about? What's been the biggest change for you over the last two weeks, three weeks? Finding a rhythm. So, so I am. I own babysitting duty up until noon. Then we hand off to my wife. Uh, so finding a rhythm where I can kind of keep my my day schedule sort of normal-ish, but incorporating, helping my, my daughter. That's been the, the biggest challenge, like right now. So normally around 8.20, and it's 8.26 right now. Normally around 8.20, I have to stop whatever meeting I'm in, uh, go get my daughter breakfast. But today she's having cereal, and I have put it all out on the table. <laughs> it's self-served breakfast this morning. Yeah, uh, having teenagers as painful as it can be is an advantage at this time because they're largely self-sufficient. I have to give them some structure to make sure they get things done. And other than that, it works out pretty well. Yeah, I just went and glanced at the table. It doesn't look like she's up yet. Um, as it, oh, well. Yeah, oh, well. Okay, I'm sure other stuff will come up, but I am going to do an- yet another episode where Alan outsources his job to Brent. Attempts the- to. Attempts to, or looks for ideas. And I am a big believer in the Linus Pauling quote that I mentioned probably 10,000 times on the podcast. The way to get good ideas is to have a lot of ideas, then throw the bad ones away. So... I'm always looking for ideas, so you're welcome to send me things if you're listening. If you're on the one of the three dot slack dot com slack group, you can send them to me there. By the way, uh, we don't have it on our Slack, but it looks like all the paid versions of Slack have got the new Slack upgrade. It's very slick. You can now put for those of us that have Slack teams with lots and lots of channels, you can now organize those channels into folders or groups. Makes things very nice. A little more organized. I was worried at first it made Slack feel a little bit too much like email, but not too bad. Uh, That should roll out to those of us mooching off the free version, I'm guessing, in the next few weeks. So it's kind of cool. Anyway. Interesting. Does that mean... So it sounds like uh, Slack is lighting it. I wonder if they're prioritizing their paid or if they're free just significantly outnumbers their paid. I'm sure free significantly outnumbers paid. Uh, I don't know if they're flighting. I think it's been available. We just turned it on. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm not a Slack admin on. I haven't been contacted. I'm not sure how they're going to do. For the paid version, they contact an admin first and say, hey, when do you want this turned on for you? 
and they do a little testing and then they say, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I wanted to mention that because I like it, but give me feedback. And the question for Brent and for everyone listening is this. Say, for example, you knew someone, perhaps who's speaking right now, who was given the abstract task of increasing velocity on their engineering team or in their engineering organization, knowing full well, actually, this is weird talking about this way. So I have been asked to increase velocity for the team with both parties knowing full well, there's no blueprint and velocity is an abstract term and that it has probably as much perception as it is actual execution. I have my own bag of tricks, which has worked for a long time. Small batch size is probably the easiest one, uh, both for perception and actual throughput. That, along with a clear definition of done that focuses on, that includes a focus on the customer problem that's being solved by that work. Those two are my two go-tos, but I know enough to know that those two alone aren't a blueprint. What else should I consider if I wanted to increase the actual and perceived uh, velocity or I'll, I'll, I'll use the word velocity for now, or put another way, if you were the designated velocity champion, what sorts of things should you be doing or thinking about? Uh, and I assume uh, gaming the numbers is off the table. This isn't Microsoft. We actually do legit work here. Okay, so you, you called out velocity versus perceived velocity. So I can, I can. How do you think those are measured differently? It's the communication of the velocity. It's uh, a little bit not necessarily how to lie with statistics or game the numbers, but for example. When we ha- I send, I have a couple weekly meetings, one with America's, one with Europe, where I go over project status across the org uh, and just, just focusing not on the 70 or so projects we have in flight, but just focusing on the projects that have some delays or some risk. And the purpose of that meeting is l- much less so on the actual delays because they could just send me those in Slack. It's really about emphasizing our culture of transparency and psychological safety and just learning from each other. I think the the primary use of that meeting in my time in the group has moved from sort of a status check to a meeting that covers that there's really about emphasizing our values as an org, our principles. And however, 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 to answer your question, I I had to proceed with that. Afterwards, I send a, I send a brief set of notes to the whole org with uh, completed projects that week, uh, delays, updates, and new projects. One thing I did recently to address perceived velocity is I start. I used to start the thing off with delays. I had delays, and then completed, and then new. I did two things to improve the perception of velocity. Exact same information. One, I put completed at the top instead of delays at the top. And then, okay. and then delayed. And then I always have delayed with a reason, but now I have delayed along with the mitigation step for that delay. With the idea being that this is delayed because team X was depending on team Y and they're waiting on whatever. 
same reason, extra sentence, this is being resolved and determined if it's a systemic problem that should be solved at a higher level or whatever. That it's, it's a little bit in the marketing spin of the same information. That's what I mean by perceived. Okay. Yeah. In, in so, one way. And, and that can be in a bunch of different ways. So right now, if, if I interpreted that correctly, right, that last thing is uh, your manager uh, sounds like he actually reads your status report and, and I don't you're, know. I mean, he does, thinking, but it, it, it's, it's the other people that read it. So I, I'm surprised that people actually look at this. It's just meeting notes. I wouldn't even call right. it a status so, report. So if you're sending out a, a sort of a regularly read and structured email and if it framed delay at the top, you're puzzling through or have validated that you starting the top of this with delay is artificially raising the focus on that. That is my hypothesis. Yes. All right. So, and that's just one example. There's, there's, there could be more, but I wanted to give you an example. Then, if you put completed at the top, then then likely the next thing is, is that your manager is going to sub, um, count the number of bullet items underneath that uh, going forward. Is uh, don't don't assume pointy haredness. The idea, is your, is the your, idea is that I think my hypothesis is that I will improve is, the perception of velocity by focusing first on the things that are done and then improving the information that goes along with the items that are delayed. All right. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the perception thing aside for a moment because uh, well, I, I, I'm going to pause actually before you do that, the reason I bring up the perception is often in the data we communicate the way this is true across velocity or quality or whatever we're trying to get across. The way we present that requires a little bit of spin, whether you want to call it marketing or selling, but this is common when you're distributing, distributing information to a large group. When you have to consider your audience and your audience is vast and will, you know, will interpret things in different ways maybe I'll put this differently. The larger your audience, the more spin you may have to put on things to get across the the takeaway you want them to get. Yeah, I'm from a sociological point of view, like sure, spin is one thing. But in your the way you're describing the problem, I actually don't view it as spin. Yeah, and, and and I don't and honestly, I don't think I think perception is uh is indicative of a problem with velocity. I don't think we're moving as fast as we can. I don't want to go fast and break things. I want to go fast and break as few things as possible, or break them in a very safe way as possible. I think sometimes we overplan, sometimes we overtest, and those are the things I want to work on. But at the same time, I want to work on the communication so that when, again, there's little pointy haredness in my boss, but there are leaders in other disciplines who look at this and and don't know quite how to interpret. So I want to communicate to them that, again, this meeting is about emphasizing the fact that we are a learning organization and we're very transparent. I want to emphasize in my communication that we are a learning organization for those that may not be as close to the principles as I am. So I think there is some truth to the perception, so I want to manage that. But but yeah. Sure, sure. Right. So anytime you're sending a broadcasted status report type of thing, uh, I, I tell people it's best to, to view it 
uh, almost like a slide deck, right? Um, yes, of course. You, you want to put the uh, people are, uh, if you assume people are only going to spend a max of 10 minutes uh, uh, reading it. Yeah, probably less. That, then you want to want to put the pri you want to put the high order bits at the top of the email and you want to be succinct right? yes, and, so yes. and, I, and i think uh, just to move along i think maybe we're focusing a little bit too much on the perception part you asked about it and i want to give an example yeah, there are probably no, so, other ones but i think i want to move on to the actual vol engineering velocity and practice soon yeah so i'm going to do that now uh because previously so the best way to improve perceived velocity is actually to improve actual velocity. Yes, and, that's and right. Make, yes, 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 yes. And make sure it's visible clearly, right? You want, you want to get the perception to align with actual. So how do you measure velocity today or do you? Uh, the only thing I use now is lead time. I, I only look at things at the project level. So I can use lead time, which is a pretty good measure. But what I'm missing is what that doesn't get me. There are some projects, for example, that their definition of MVP and my definition of MVP are different to some degree. <laughs> and you, um, you know me, you know, I have a very lean definition of MVP, what is the minimum thing we can build that will let us get validated learning? Uh, so on that one, like I, I've had that conversation a million times. That is generally a, a, a discussion with the team and go, MVP is not the new millennial version of the term beta. They're not simple. Yes, yes, you're right. right. And, you gotta, and, and what happens is, so lead time is very much a trailing indicator for me. I can tell lead time of our projects. I can tell our, how many projects we're delivering a month. They're not all the same size, but it, it's in larger numbers. It makes sense. But it's all trailing indicators. The work I need to do is at the team level. So what I'm thinking of doing is trying to figure out what are some principles we should apply across our engineering orgs to increase velocity. Batch size is one. Uh, but I'm probably getting too specific. I, I don't. I want you to continue to comment. I'm just going to steer you a little bit. So yeah. I, I gave you a very so, long answer to your question. That I should have just said, I know, th I know throughput at the project level, and I know lead time. Yeah, I'm looking at. So lead time, and translated to Kanban is what the the time, the the. The batch is in development. No, it's from it's from product hypothesis to customer reaction or customer feedback, customer validation. Oh, that's cycle time. Okay, cycle time. So wait, sorry, got it. Well, and and to be fair, as I've read about this, I've seen those terms uh, not quite interchangeably used, but uh, flopped and extended a bit. So thanks for clarifying. So this, yeah, this looking... is not just development time. This is. Wait, I've always thought of those backward, have I? Anyway, uh, it's this time like we want to build this so that includes planning all the way to in the hands of customers. Lead, I, I'm looking at, so lead and delivery time often go hand in hand. They are the terms invented from the manufacturing 
Okay, uh, then, then, I'm gonna, then I'm going to go with them. Okay. Lead is the time it will take to process and prepare material, produce and transport it to you, the customer. Oh, okay. So lead time in that regard. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, so for example, we're dealing with this all over the place in the world right now. Uh, manufacturing, their lead times have gone way down, right? Um, or way up, I guess. They've increased. Right. If you need toilet paper, the the lead time to for producing toilet paper is has increased. It will take longer to get it out to the customer. As an aside, I was at the grocery store the other day. Uh, they actually had toilet paper. I didn't need it, but I felt obligated to buy one small pack anyway. You're part of the problem. Uh, I, I almost posted it on Facebook. Uh, achievement unlocked. I uh, haven't toilet bought paper. toilet paper since this thing happened. I didn't. Uh, I honestly, I didn't need to. Uh, but I bought just a small pack. Um, anyway. All right. Good for you. Where we we're, right. we we're on a so, lead so, time tangent. All right. So here's the thing uh, that I normally do. I think you're trying to do it from the top down, which is the thing that's interesting for me because I'm trying to, I normally do it from the bottom up. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I work at the top. I need to go work with the bottom. So I, this is, I do want to hear this. Theory of constraints, right? What you need to do is figure out how to apply the theory of constraints at a useful macro level, right? You need to identify. Uh, the very first thing that you need to do is visualize the process. And, and, and obviously something automated is going to be great. Uh, but at your level, uh, like how to do it at the macro level is something I have not ever done. At the, at the micro level, Right, visualizing bottlenecks is easy. You put together a Kanban board, right? And you, you get useful columns going and you put whip in place and uh, the bot where the bottleneck is becomes really clear, really fast. So one idea might be whatever your macro level thing is, do you have the power to limit whip? No, I can plant seeds though. So I should talk a little bit about how our org works. And it's interesting you brought that up because that's been on my mind as well. Maybe uh, last month, we have a monthly get together of all of our leads. And I usually take uh, across the world and I usually take 10 or 15 minutes and present something. And it's usually not very prescriptive, but I'm planting seeds. And the thing I talked about in this one was flow and cues and some lessons learned from Reynardson's flow book. It uh, sparked a lot of interest. I used that to segue into a talk on, because I talked a lot about uh, queue times. I used that to segue into a brief overview about how you and I like to approach Kanban, well, which is really how to use Kanban properly. And I, the model I used was people taking the default version of Kanban, like the first board you create, Kanban board, has to do, doing, done. And I say, this isn't really very helpful. 
you and I have quite similar columns. I've used what you have built. What you have built. I won't go into them all right now. Yep. But logical steps that show flow all the way from uh, things that can be done to things that are validated in production. I show why I, you know how that how that works, and then I introduced WIP, which a lot of people using Kanban don't use, and I show how easy it is. Just some quick examples. How like I, I just throw up a Kanban board. Okay, what's the problem here? And immediately, because human brains are fantastic at pattern matching, everyone knows exactly what the bottlenecks are. It's amazing if you use Kanban and WIP properly, how powerful that is. Not coincidentally, uh, I did a query last night of, I look a lot at all the, our project data. So I did a query of every project that's been completed on time or early in the last uh, since I joined the team in the last 10 months or so and the delivery owner in charge of those projects uh, all of our projects have a, have a product owner which is product management and a delivery owner which is the engineering lead and right. would you believe would you be surprised that the people at the top of that list are people that I know from talking to them use Kanban and WIP as part of their project management I am not. And actually, <laughs> and actually, it's interesting. Maybe you have found the clue there. Yeah, yeah. there's right? something uh, there. But here's here's no, a little no, bit I of my mean, challenge. Let me. I need to get a little bit more of our culture, and then you can go on there. We have a very, uh, we're very proud of our autonomous culture. the The directions we give our engineering leads is: you have three jobs. You need to manage people. You need to be a tech leader. You need to do your own project management. How you do that is up to you, but when you do it, you should balance that work as roughly 60% new stuff, 20% keeping the business running, 20% tech debt. And we give them, like, in very much in the spirit of, oh, who wrote the radical leader's guide to radical management, the denning, give people a framework they can work in and then get out of their way. And so I offer tips on why they may be using Scrum or Kanban ineffectively and slowly they get better. But uh, that's kind of where we're at. So people get to choose. We don't prescribe a project management approach. Uh, I obviously have my preferences, but in the way our org works, it wouldn't be fair of me to tell them what to do. I can give them suggestions on what may work better in their context as I work my way around our, our 80 different engineering teams, however many we have. Yeah. Okay. I get that. So, so in addition to this, we need to come up with a strategy that doesn't involve command and control. Yeah. Um, and, and I should also point out, they do listen to me. So if I just sent an email or a Slack message or presentation that said, Alan thinks velocity can be improved if we follow these three principles, they'll try them. Oh, so I, I will, right. I can't prescribe, but I've worked myself into a position of credibility where if I say stuff, it won't be at yeah, whatever, shut up. So that there is that advantage. Well, right. If you were to say the principles, let me try these, right? CICD, obviously. Pull and whip. Right. I think... The, the those three principles or those three assets techniques thingamabobs I, I 
Um, I don't care about the right noun. That's the secret sauce of Kanban to a great deal. I mean, the, the fourth one is visualize everything. Yes, that helps. Right. Um, but if you had a team, so if you initiated, if you get teams to initiate whip, um, and then people are going to come up with, well, Hey, I'm idle. I can't pick up another ticket because whip, what do I do? Right. Then you, you guide them towards pulling. Right. And then the CICD, uh, the best thing about CICD is, is it's a just fantastic inoculation into the primary uh, flaw with scrum and that is uh all the bugs get integrated or get introduced into the product the the at 11 p.m the night before the end of sprint demo yeah even our teams using scrum though however i'm 90 plus percent of those their stuff when it gets to the done column it's going into production they don't really it, it's a it's a scrummer bond sort of thing but we have CICD uh, okay. across the org. That part's there. What we don't have is this idea of whip. And I think it does. I think it is leading to perceived and actual slowness. So if you have, if you have whip in place, then, then you need to make sure pull is in place. And, and, uh, a lot of times when I say the word pull, I mean the opposite of push, not a long thing that you hang electric wires off of. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So whip is really powerful along with pull, right? Uh, uh, so it, there's a problem at the individual level. They're motivated to start the next new shiny thing. Thanks for that. <laughs> wow. You'd make an attractive teenage girl. <laughs> I don't know what you did. Um, Brent's hallucinating. Yeah. Ellen is uh, somehow incorporated uh, Snapchat into Zoom. Yeah, shiny things. I'm t sorry. <laughs> Tip of the day. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I was goofing off listening to Brent. There's, you can go to snapcamera.snapchat.com. And you can get uh, a filter that'll work in your video app. So you can change. There's one where you can change yourself to a potato. It's pretty good. Anyway, go on. All right. Anyway, so once I get whip, getting whip on a team, because whip seems like what you're doing is you're setting up artificial bottlenecks. And it takes a little while to get people to understand. No, once, once you have the white, right whip limits in place, on your Kanban board, you should always have exactly one column that's bottlenecking if you have the right whip, whip limits in place. And it's great because that is Kanban telling you, hey, dive in here. It, it, it's, it's all about creating an effective learning culture. If you don't know where your bottleneck is, um, start adding whip and cranking it down until something starts to slow. Absolutely. And I can offer this advice to 
the teams that are using, who have chosen, who have been nudged properly to use Kanban as their project management? The second thing is that you want to you want to change the intrinsic uh, motivation of each employee. They're motivated to start the next new shiny thing. You want to change that intrinsic motivation to be around closing is more important than starting. Finishing what is in flight is more important than starting something new. And uh, what they, uh, what I, when I get a team going into that particular rhythm and I successfully change that mindset, you discover something fascinating. And that is that they realize they can actually start the new shiny thing faster by focusing on closing. Yes. And I feel like we're, we may be pretty good at that. Uh, okay. But I, I think there may be, and maybe you'll have your advice here. We're actually, believe it or not, getting close to the end of our time is one thing I've discovered in looking at which projects have been successfully delivered and looking across hundreds of projects now there is a correlation between, and it's a little different at Microsoft with program managers who wear a bunch of different hats, but between our product managers, our product owners, and our engineering leaders, the better alignment they have between the two of them, because they're able to figure out what exactly is they're building, what problem it's solving, what a true MVP is. But the tighter that alignment is, the more velocity their teams have. Have you noticed anything like that or have any ideas on how I could encourage that to work better? Uh, when you have uh, teams that have a tight alignment, here's how I phrase it. My PM in engineering uh, or, or development, let me do that. Um, PM in development, they have different roles and often the, the power structure between the two of them is unbalanced. And the, the way I frame it is they're my partner. And what I expect from a partner is that they are as, as concerned about my goals as they are their goals and their goals are not my goals, meaning we have we have overlapping. So some PMs go, dude, your goals are what I tell you to do. Here's the requirement spec. Go do it, right? Um, that doesn't that, work, though. It does not work, but there are there there are some. Um, thankfully, it's rare, but there are some PMs that are uh, uh, power tripping. So I sit down with my PMs and I go, look, this is my definition of a partnership. If you want to be my partner, it's not by words. This is what this means. It means you and I will cons consistently sync up around what my goals are and what your goals are. And we're going to have a conversation that results in both set of goals being equally cared about by both sides. That is a partnership. Yeah. Right. And, and why do you? I'm, I'm going to push back. Why do you? You want both sets of goals to be aligned? How come you just can't have one set of goals between you? Because the goals are going to be different. 
right? And they're going to have something very PM focused as well on their list. No, the, screw that. Screw that. Your com- your goals together are to solve a customer's problem. Uh, that's nice as a t-shirt model, uh, but on any level of drill down, it falls apart pretty quickly. Every human being has intrinsic goals. They have things that they want to achieve. Hey, uh, let's say you were my PM and hey, you're like, hey, this is the right thing for the customer. And you know what? You're really trying for a promotion. Uh, yeah, cycle, we, we, right? that, that's a Microsoft uh, thing. There are always intrinsic and, and extrinsic goals. I, I, I believe that. People are trying okay. to improve. People are trying to grow. But the first thing you do is realize that users come first. How are you going to solve that problem? On the engineering side, you can help figure out what's the minimal amount of work we need to do to validate whether we're solving that problem or not. Agree on that. Implement it. Rinse, lather, repeat. Yeah, so I generally come from the engineering management point of view. And as you know, my experience, like more often than not, nowadays, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, I am my own PM, right? I already have the lather, rinse, repeat. I know how to get feedback from the customers. I know how to yep. uh, use the data. So it's generally not a problem. Yeah, uh, and, I, and one, I, I'm the wait, same. Wait. I, I work with no PMs on the teams I manage. I just want to help the rest, the other 240 engineers in the organization be successful. So before we run out of time, there's one last concept that I wanted to bring up on your other question. And that's the identification of waste. Do you have the ability? Do you understand this concept? Yes, the, absolutely. Uh, this is all over my presentation I gave a month ago on uh, okay. Lean and Reinertsen. So if you can identify, uh, so I have a particular style of a retrospective. Uh, we definitely do not have time to go through it uh, where you where you can force teams to understand what waste is and visualize it in a retrospective. But the more you can make that part of a culture and make each individual realized, realize on their own that the effort they just spent on could have been reduced by n number of days, uh, you then uh, get that learning and that pre-thinking done um, going forward. Right, you got to get rid of any sort of semblance of a blame culture. I have no doubt that that's pretty thriving. Not blame culture, non-blame culture. Uh, I think is thriving at Unity based on how you describe it. In our so, org, psychological safety is definitely something that both my manager and I make sure is a top priority. Yes. So once you get through that, then getting people through trained on at a, at, at a ground level, how to use a retrospective to identify sources of waste uh, as, a, as a way to learn what to do next time. Because turns out uh, very specific causes of waste are very rare. It, it almost always generalizes. That, uh, that is actually a good brain tickle that last bit you brought up because I've talked a lot about with my teams around 
I call them my teams. I, I, I consider the whole org to sort of dotted line report to me, uh, whether they do or not. But we talk about waste and cues and whip and all these things. But one of the things I haven't planted enough seeds about, and I talk a lot about planting seeds and leadership and just kind of mentioning things and see who picks up on it. My org is very fertile. They like when I plant seeds, they pick them up and I'm surprised sometimes. Hey, Alan, I tried this thing you mentioned. It's working. I thought that wasn't even my main point, but yeah. And I haven't planted enough seeds yet around the power of retrospectives. And that may be one of the next things I talk about with the team and start planting because that's that's where the improvement happens. We have a learning culture and most or probably all the teams do retros, but are they effective retros that focus on not just on bugs or issues that came up or, or, or conflicts, but make sure those retros include ideas on improving velocity or identifying waste or cues would be... Or think, bottlenecks or... Yep. Right, so uh, retrospective... And and uh, and you know, to not be a postmortem. Right, right, and I and I and I, I don't think they're that, but I think I can nudge those to being a way to scale some of this knowledge. And we are going to spend our next podcast talking quite a bit more about retrospectives, whether you know it or not. I just put it in Slack. What do I you think, think about that? I think it's fantastic. All right, of course, I, by then we'll we'll have forgotten it. All right, I better get going. All right. And uh, Alan is now Mr. Potato Head. I have become a potato for Brent. And hey, it is good chatting with you. Glad things are going well. Please stay healthy. And that message goes to Brent as well as the rest of our listeners. All right, then. All right. I will see you. Thank you. Bye-bye.